Many of you know that I grew up in a small little town called Crete, Illinois. Uh, it's on the border of uh, Indiana and Illinois, so almost into Indiana, like five miles from the border, so uh, pretty much over in, in that area. Uh, but in our small little town, we have a, a Lutheran grade school and high school, and that's where I attended my entire life, from preschool all the way through high school. And during my time there, we had two teachers that ended up getting married to each other. Uh, and it was great because the majority of people liked both of these teachers. And so it, it was kind of a crowd favorite that they got married. Uh, but a, a few years after they got married, uh, word came out that uh, they couldn't have kids. And they were devastated. And, and everyone was kind of devastated for them as well uh, because they were such loving and kind people. They are loving and kind people. As these two people looked around their house they, they, they looked at all of this stuff that they had that they wanted to share with their children they, they looked at all of the experiences they, they, they had in the past and they, they thought of all the experiences that they would have in the future and how they wanted to share those experiences with their children but they couldn't have any but maybe the thing that hurt the most was that they, they looked inside their heart and they saw all the love there that they had they saw all the love that they had for each other, all the love that was stored up in there that they wanted to shower down on their children, but they couldn't have any. And so what did they do? They looked into adoption. And they invested the time. They invested the energy. They invested the cost of adopting not one, but two babies from the Philippines. And now they have a house and a home that they share with these children. Now they have experiences that they share with these children. And, and now they have all of this love pouring out of their heart into these children as, as their family. What makes a family? It's not bloodlines, right? That's obvious. And so what is it that makes family? And, and, and this is extremely important, especially as we start talking about this topic today, uh, uh, that we support each other like a family here at church. So what makes a family? That's what we're going to talk about today uh, as we look at the first century Christian church in Acts chapter 4. And we're, as, as we consider this question, what makes a family, uh, we see what a church family looks like in Acts chapter 4 in that very first Christian congregation in Jerusalem. Give you a little context. Uh, the book of Acts starts with Jesus ascending up into heaven. He's already died. He's already rose again. He, he, he's gone up into heaven. Uh, and, and now the Christian church is starting to grow. Pentecost happened the 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. And, and uh, Pentecost was that day the Holy Spirit came, opened up the disciples' minds to understand Scripture, and then gave them the boldness to proclaim uh, the message of Jesus. And the Christian church formed. It was smaller than the Greeks. It was smaller than the Jews. But it formed. And they wouldn't be stopped. And in Acts chapter 4, uh, we, we get a glimpse of what this church looked like. And so let's start. We're in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. 
And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, at work in them all, that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is pretty radical, isn't it? Uh, Look at this church. You've got a family of believers, a church that had what? They had rich people, and then they had some really poor and needy people. And this church, this family of believers said, nobody is going to be in need. And so what did these wealthy people do? They opened up their homes and shared with what they had with the poor people. Some people, like Joseph, also called Barnabas, uh, he goes out, they sell land, they sell their homes, and they bring all the money to the apostles' feet and say, here, distribute it how you see fit, give to the needy. We don't want anyone to be poor and needy among us. Unbelievable. This wasn't a communist society. Uh, they didn't say, hey, everyone needs to have the same amount. No, this was just wealthy people uh, being filled with God's love and sharing with what they had. Uh, they weren't commanded by the apostles. If you want to be Christians, you have to do this. No, this was a willingness on their part because they viewed each other as family. And families, this is your first point today, families aren't casual, they're committed. They're committed. That's what families are. They're committed to each other. They're not casual with each other, but they're committed. And that's what we see here, right? This first century Christian church said, we are committed to each other like family. Nobody is going to struggle. Nobody is going to be needy. Nobody is going to be poor. We are committed to each other, and we're committed that no one is going to be in need. And they supported each other like family members. Now, before we go any further, because our minds might be going this way, this is not how we have to be. We don't have to go out and sell our stuff uh, in order to support each other like family. And and maybe this is an opportunity for me to to tell you, in in Scripture, there's such things as prescriptive prescriptive sections of Scripture and descriptive sections of Scripture. Prescriptive says... Here's how something gets done. This is the exact way to do it. I'll give you an example of that. Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. And He tells us to do that and how to do that. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them. And so the way that we make disciples, the only way we make disciples, is by baptizing and teaching. We don't make disciples by saying, hey, go out into the woods and meditate and just sit there for 30 minutes. That's not going to make a disciple because God's Word is needed. And Jesus says, this is how you do it. That's prescriptive. Descriptive simply describes what's going on. It describes the situation. And that's what this is. This section of Scripture is simply describing how that first century Christian church looked. So this is a description. We're not supposed to take away that in order to be a Christian, we need to go out and sell our stuff and bring it to the church and lay it at my feet. Uh, that, that's not what we take from this. 
But what is the application that we draw? The application is that they were committed to each other like a family. They didn't just come to church on Sunday morning, shake hands and say, hey, how you doing? Great. Okay, we'll see you later. And not see each other until next week or two weeks or three weeks later. They were committed to doing life together and supporting each other. One opportunity we have here at Divine Savior, right? To support each other like family. Some people hear that word family and, and they grimace, they, they bristle at it because family isn't always, not everyone has a good family situation. Not everyone was brought up in a good family home. And so when you hear the word family, it, it's, I'd rather be alone. That's kind of the mindset. And one opportunity that we have here at church to show people, to demonstrate to people what a family looks like, a family especially under Jesus as we support each other and are committed to each other like family. We do a really good job of this, actually. Uh, we do a, a, a really good job. Uh, I'm always impressed when, when somebody has surgery or somebody uh, has a baby here, how uh, the meal train just gets filled up. People sign up for meals, and so we are committed to supporting each other like family. I'm also always really impressed when we have first-time guests and uh, I either talk to them after the service or later in the week, one of the first things they always tell me is how welcoming our group of people are. How everyone talked to them, how they felt extremely welcome, uh, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing as we welcome others into our family. Uh, I'm impressed that uh, people will go and visit others in the hospital, like Louis B. We have people who go and visit him. Uh, I'm impressed to hear that people are reaching out to uh, Debbie after she had surgery and, and other people who had surgery. People are reaching out to them. This is committed to, to being a family and supporting each other like a family. But what stops us from always being like that? What causes us to not be committed to each other but to be more casual? selfishness, right? It, it, it's, it's me saying, well, you know what? That person over there wasn't as committed to me as they're expecting me to be committed to them, and so I'm not going to be. It, it's selfishness that I'd rather invest my time, my energy, uh, my uh, financial means into something else that I enjoy and not invest my time, energy, and finances into my church family. It's, it's me saying, i rather do what I want, i rather do what my family wants, and not support the needs of the congregation. It's me saying, this is just a place I worship. This is just a place where I get something out of it. I don't want to invest and be committed to my fam church family. And yet, what we see from this first century Christian church is that a family of believers, a church family, are committed to each other. They are committed. But we also have a second point, And that is that families make sacrifices for each other. Families make sacrifices for each other. 
Earlier this week, I, my friend posted a, a picture of her and her daughter. Uh, my friends, they got married. They moved out to Colorado. And uh, both of them work full time. They went out there without a single, they didn't, neither one of them had a job. They just wanted to move to Colorado, and so they did. And so uh, they both work full time. They have two daughters under the age of four. And uh, my friend just posted a picture of her and her daughter and said, We just hit the thousand book challenge. I didn't even know this existed uh, until recently. But apparently, there's a challenge out there to read a thousand books uh, before your child enters kindergarten. And so they read a thousand books before going into kindergarten. And in her post, she said, uh, you know, we work full time. Uh, My house is a mess. Uh, The floors aren't mopped. They're not swept. Uh, Laundry doesn't all get done in one weekend. Uh, And and the house is dusty. And she says, if I want to get that done, I'm going to have to sacrifice sleep. I'm going to have to sacrifice uh, this dirty house because I think it's important to invest in my daughter in this way. We make sacrifices for family. Parents, you all make sacrifices for your children. I know that you don't like over half of those cartoons that you have to watch. They're not fun and enjoyable, but you watch them because your kids like them. You, you invest your, your finances into them. Uh, some with, with older parents, you sacrifice for them to take care of them. We make sacrifices for family. And that's what we see here in the first century Christian church. They said, look, we view each other as family. We're willing to make sacrifices, even to the point where they went and sold their homes. They sold pieces of land and said, here, we're willing to sacrifice this, sacrifice this in support of our family. Our family of believers. And that's what we do too, right? Sometimes in our church family, we have to make sacrifices. Sometimes we have to sacrifice our wants, our desires. Sometimes we have to sacrifice our preferences. Sometimes we have to sacrifice that grudge. Sometimes we have to sacrifice uh, our comfortability. We have to make sacrifices because we're family. That's part of being a family is making sacrifices for each other. And that's what we see in the first century Christian church. But where does this type of love, this type of love that makes us committed and makes us willing to sacrifice, where does this come from? It's not, hey, look inside your heart and dig deep to find that love. Because you know what you're going to find when you dig deep into your heart? You're going to find what I find when I dig deep into my heart. And that's selfishness. That's selfishness that's going to say, I don't want to do this. I want my wants, my desires. And so where does our motivation come from? It's actually found in the scripture that we read. I don't know if you caught it. And the reason you probably didn't catch it is because we were so focused on the amazing amount of uh, sacrifice uh, and commitment that the people had for each other. But here it is. Let's, let's go back and look. It's right here, starting at third line. With great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, and at work in them all, that there was no needy persons among them. I just cannot get that sentence right and read that smoothly. What is it 
that motivated these people to love in this way. God's grace. His undeserved love, right? It's God's grace that was the glue that held them together. It was God's grace that they first said, look at what God's done for me. It was being completely overwhelmed with joy knowing that Jesus rose from the dead. Think about it. We, we, know this, we know the whole story. We know that Jesus lived, died, He rose again. These people were just a few years past Jesus actually rising from the dead. They were just a few years from Jesus walking on earth. They probably even saw Him. And they were overwhelmed with knowing that their sins were forgiven. Overwhelmed with knowing they don't have to go to the the temple to offer sacrifices. They don't have to follow X, Y, and Z. They don't have to live up to the Pharisee standards. They were at peace with God. And they were overwhelmed by God's grace. And they were so humbled by the realization that God would do this that, that they sat there and asked of themselves, asked to themselves, what would make God do this? What would make God come to this earth and walk on this uh, pain and suffering filled earth? What would make God die for me? What would make God rise from the dead? It's God looking around His heavenly home and saying, I want to share this home with my children. It's God looking at, at His glory and saying, I want to experience all of this with my children. It's God looking deep into His heart and saying, I have all of this love stored up in my heart and I just want to share it with my children. And so God said, I am committed to my children. I am going to sacrifice for my children that they can come into my heavenly home. And that's what we see, isn't it? Jesus, first, God sacrifices His own Son, gives Him up, and Jesus comes to this earth, leaving His heavenly throne, leaving all the riches there, and He comes and He lives poor. Jesus said at one point, I don't even have a place to lay down at night. That's how poor I am. The God of this world didn't even have a home. He never once thought of how inconvenienced he was. He never once thought about uh, uh, how this was affecting him. He never once thought and wondered, are they worth it? Never. He was so committed to you and me because we were in need. And he said, no one, none of my children are going to be in need. And on one weekend, he took care of our greatest needs. On Friday... Jesus sacrificed the ultimate price as He died on the cross so that your sins are forgiven. Your mistakes, your failures, everything, gone at the cross of Christ. And on that same weekend, on Sunday, He rose from the dead so that your greatest need, uh, death conquered, would be conquered. And then, God said, I'm so committed to you that I didn't just do all this, but I'm going to officially sign the adoption papers and bring you into my family. And that's what happened at your baptism. At your baptism was the day that God said, you are adopted into my family. You are mine. 
You are my child. Come, share my heavenly home. Come, experience my glory. Come, experience love like you've never experienced before. Come, share in my love, in my joy, and in my happiness. This is what God has done for every single person on earth. And this is what God has done for every single person sitting next to you. He is each of your heavenly Father. He is my heavenly Father. And He has brought us all into His family. And it is His sacrifice, His commitment to us, His love for us, that then motivates us to love each other and support each other like family. It is being overwhelmed with the the love that my God has for me. My Heavenly Father, that He's so committed to me. It's being overwhelmed with peace. It's being overwhelmed with, with the knowledge that there's more to life than this. There's eternal life. This is what motivates us to support each other like family. We are committed to each other. We make sacrifices for each other. And we love each other and support each other just like God loves and supports us. In just a few minutes, we're, gonna, we're going to take prayer requests like we do every worship service. And, and a lot of times, what do we pray for? We pray for people who are sick. And we pray that God encourages them, heals them, and, and gives them hope. I wonder how many times that, that we say amen and, and we close up our prayers and God hears our prayers and God says, I've answered them. You're all sitting here. Go love and support each other like the family you are. May God give us that heart this week to support each other like family, to to be committed to each other like family, to make sacrifices like family, and to build each other up in our Savior Jesus. And my God who who uh, has all the riches in heaven will be able to supply all of your needs in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for bringing us into Your family. We thank You for being committed to us and making it such a huge sacrifice for us. Uh, we ask that uh, You help us to be overwhelmed with joy and happiness and in, overwhelmed in Your love and, and let Your grace so powerfully be at work in us that we love and support each other like family. Thank You for Jesus who forgives us all of our sins and help us to always remain in You uh, as we remain with each other. Amen.